Welcome, you're listening to Doll Capital. You're with Ben for our occasional segment of Benno's Brief. I'll be talking to you about what's on my mind and hopefully it will either be entertaining, interesting or even motivating for all you cage-rattling tragics out there. On today's show, Victoria votes for its new state government on the 26th of November. We're moving to our special guest, Josh Gordon, who's the senior reporter from The Age newspaper. And we asked the very important question, is there anything more happening in this Victorian election than did Premier Dan Andrews hit a cyclist in 2013? Apparently that's all that's really interesting about the Victorian election. But um, first, what we'll get on, let you know, on this show, Dole Capital, and Ben is part of Dole Capital, is brought to you by our supporters, our um, people who show solidarity with the show, who donate to us on Patreon. We have a Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash P-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L. So that's patreon.com forward slash Dog Capital. Please like, share, and subscribe to our show. Leave a review on your preferred podcast app. Thank you to our supporters who have helped us with our broadcasting hosting fees and equipment over the last year or so. It's been great. Actually, over a year now. Uh, your support helps motivate and resource us to make more content. Jake will be back for a full episode of Dole Capital soon, and congratulations on him finishing his course. That's very good. And also, before we get started, we're recording on Nanawa land. I'm not sure where. Where? What? What land are you in, mate? Like, oh, um, um, Wiradjuri. We're in Wiradjuri. Yes. So yeah. we pay our respects to uh, the elders, past, present, and future whose sovereignty was never ceded and who we express our solidarity with struggles to end continuing injustices for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Josh, welcome to the show. Good to be with yeah. you, Yeah, now look, for, for people that don't know you um, from interstate, there'd be plenty of camera people that might remember you. <laughs> remember you from back in the day. But Josh is a senior reporter of the age, a senior reporter of the age newspaper in Victoria. Uh, he's a long-time trade unionist, uh, an economic history buff, and a fiddle player of quite some repute and an amateur promoter of the Oyster Band. I'm not sure if you're getting much gigs with the Oyster Band of late, but um, while we're talking you... They're a good band, Ben. Yeah, it is, Ben. The Oyster Band is a very good band. Uh, what we're talking about today, though, Josh, is the Victorian election. And, and look, what is actually going on? Is is there something more, as I mentioned before, than um, Murdoch's war on Premier Dan Andrews? What's happening? If we're in a state, it's very strange. <laughs> if you just followed two newspapers, you'd have a very... It is very strange. I mean, it's very strange for someone who's lived in Victoria for the past 15 years or so. Um, look, I mean, he. I think he's a Premier. He's been in for two terms now. They've got four-year terms in Victoria. So he came to power in 2014. Um, basically, he surprised everyone and kicked the coalition out after just one term. So they, they were in power from 2010 to 2014. Uh, they were the first single-term government in Victoria since the Great Labor split in 1955. So it was quite a historic achievement winning the 2014 election. Um, he won by 
a fairly narrow margin. Uh, and then in 2018, he went on to win in what they called a Dan Slide election. Um, so there's 88 seats in the lower house in Victoria, and I, I think he had a margin of 11 seats when he won. He won, won 50, 57% of the two-party preferred vote, basically. So it was a very emphatic sort of result in 2018. And now he's um, having a crack at a third term, uh, third four-year term. And um, I think I think the polls have probably tightened up a little bit since 2018. Um, but certainly he is, I guess, after, you know, we've had a, obviously had a pandemic in the middle of it all and he's what you might describe as a, a fairly polarising sort of figure in Victoria. He's got a um, very strong rusted-on base of, you know, uh, supporters and then there's people who absolutely hate his guts uh, in, in the middle. Um, there's, you know, it's a, it's a very, I mean, Victoria did have long lockdowns and it was a very um, sort of tumultuous couple of years there in Victoria. Um, and so there, there's a lot of uh, sort of passionate feelings around this election on both sides of the argument, I think you'd say. Um, so it's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I, I do think the polls have probably tightened up a lot since 2018. Yeah, would you say it's like it's been one of the most sort of heightened um, state elections that we've had for a while? Was of heightened yeah, sort of, you know, there seems to be quite a, a lot of emotive stuff coming. I, I would. I mean, there was a Liberal candidate the other day for, for one of the seats, Nari Warren South, I think it was. She came out and, sorry, she wasn't a Liberal candidate. She was an angry Victorians mm. candidate. So she's sort of on the right. She came out the other day, just to give you an example of the sort of heightened kind of crazy feelings around, she she said she wanted, you know, someone should turn Dan Andrews, I'm paraphrasing, into pink mist, um, which is apparently wow. a term um, apparently a term in the army when someone, uh, not meaning to be graphic, but when someone gets shot in the head, there's a sort of pink mist. So she sort of uh, said, you know, we want to turn him into pink mist, Um that's the kind of um, rhetoric we're getting in this election. There's been people walking around with, like, mock gallows saying that, you know, Dan Andrews should be hung. Uh, there's been massive protests, uh, all sorts of inflammatory language. Um, there's a lot of people on the right who are very angry um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're using very inflammatory language. Uh, and it's it's quite yeah it's quite a it's quite a kind of concerning election in that yeah. sense I think I, I find it quite yeah. troubling. And I guess like some of the some of those various that I mean I know on, on previous shows we've we've talked about the um, uh, there's a, there's a whole lot of linkages between various uh, disconnected or disempowered um, people, but but also in terms of linking up with far you know the far right and the populist right and. The, um, some rather strange people, men's rights groups, followed by um, uh, very hardcore evangelical Christian groups and, and the like. I mean, you could do a whole show on how on, <laughs> it's gone down in Victoria, but but it is, you've got that's happening. But I, I think in terms of like one thing that we're missing um, a lot of in, in uh, outside of um, Victoria is actually a bit of an idea of what's 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 actually going on about the key issues for the electorate. Like the cost of living crisis is something that's happening all around the country, if not around most of the developed world. Um, how 
what, what are the reactions from the political parties? Like, we'll swing back to Dan in a little bit in Labor, but um, what what do you think are the um, the reactions of the political parties around their policies that's sort of playing out this election in reaction to the economic situation that Victoria finds itself in as part of that bigger picture? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, a lot of it is about cost of living, Um you know, wages growth, it's the same It's the same story around Australia in Victoria. Wages growth has been very sluggish. Real wages have been going backwards. Uh, we've had two years of pandemic and now, you know, you've got the war in the Ukraine pushing up energy prices. We've had floods pushing up food prices. Um, people's wages just haven't been rising anywhere near fast enough to keep pace with inflation. Uh, so... A lot of people, particularly in the outer suburbs, are doing it very tough and have been doing it pretty tough for quite a long time. Um, you know, I mean, a big a big issue is energy, and that's a sort of real flashpoint in the election about how to deal with energy prices. Labor's been very big on renewable energy. The coalition has sort of had a road to Damascus conversion on that issue a little bit as well, but there's still a lot of, you know, renewable energy sceptics, I guess you could say, in the party. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely cost of living's a big part of it. The coalition, I mean, they're throwing out money, uh, you know, like they're, they're promising, you know, just to give you a few examples, $200 sports vouchers so people can, you know, this, this is one of the coalition policies, people can, um, you know, join up, you know, sporting clubs for their kids, you know, with those vouchers. Um, there's a, they're, they're promising two dollar a day public transport fares, so um, very cheap public transport. Um, there's a whole sort of suite of measures. You know, Daniel Andrews is promising um, oh, like subsidies for for tradie apprentices and and that sort of thing. There's there's just all sorts of money being flung at different groups, uh, not particularly sophisticated public policy in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just um, a lot of cash being flung around, basically, in that sense. So that that's a big issue. I mean, one very real issue that both sides have been talking about a lot is health. Yep. Um, the health system's been under such huge pressure over the past um, two and a half years. Um, so, you know, for example, ambulance ramping's been a massive issue in Victoria, the triple zero emergency call service has been in crisis. So that's been a huge uh, issue, how to fix triple zero. Um, just hospital resourcing, you know, um, they've been promising billions of dollars both sides, particularly the um, Liberal Party have said that they want to make this election an election, a referendum on health. Um, so Labor has this big... Um, public transport policy called the suburban rail loop. Um, So it's in three stages. It's like a um, sort of orbital rail line around the city that kind of connects up all the suburbs via the airport. So it's, it's very, it's quite a controversial policy, but very, very expensive. Um, So just to give you an idea, the first stage, there's three stages. They're talking about $35 billion just for the first stage. So, the coalition have come out and said we're going to shelve that first stage and use every cent to improve the health system. 
So um, it's not going to get them $35 because not all of that money has been committed, but it might get them an extra $8 by $8 billion by not going with that. So um, so they've been making big big promises for hospitals yeah. out of that, but then there's no there's no public transport. That, that, rail network that is interesting that the, the policy ground, like on the one hand, I guess the, the big, big argument and debate is around infrastructure, the classic infrastructure of transportation networks and... Uh, and health, it, it does sound interesting that the Liberals are getting into that that area. It's normally a very strong area for Labor in terms of absolutely. And it is yeah, things I mean, like they've got the tanks on the on the grass there. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of the more interesting things about the election. Is normally you'd say if if you're having an election about health then labor's very much fighting on the higher ground you know you you look at those polls which side is best equipped to manage the health mm-hmm. system labor consistently wins on that question you know rightly or wrongly the coalition does better on questions about economic management but you know labor always comes out ahead on health and things like that um so it is interesting that they've chosen to fight the election on mm-hmm. health. I think they think that the health system has been so knocked about over the past couple of years that they can actually take Labor on in that space. Um, some people would say that's a that's a brave thing to do because the coalition are never going to be able to out-health Labor. Um, but I think I think they've done a reasonably good job in some ways of making some, you know, big promises for parts of Melbourne that maybe have been a bit neglected, um, particularly in the West where a lot of the uh, population growths occurred in Melbourne, um, not, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, but um, out, out in Melbourne's West, it was one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing area in Australia population-wise. So they've got all sorts of issues about infrastructure, you know, health infrastructure included, but, you know, they feel like it's been very safe Labor territory out there, but the coalition feels like that's changing Mm -hmm. now because they they got really slammed by the pandemic, those parts of Melbourne as well, because, you know, it's it's all right for people who live in the, um, you know, People's Republic of Clifton Hill or... Um, you know, the inner, inner parts of Melbourne, they, they could all sort of work from home or get into the city relatively easily. But a lot of those further flung parts of Melbourne, they didn't have great access to public transport and they actually, during the pandemic, were very dependent on, you know, they couldn't work from home, a lot of those yeah. people. So they really suffered, I think. And they've been, um, you know, there's a sort of infrastructure deficit in a lot of those places so i think that you know um seats like um werribee out in the west um, and melton um the liberal party and there's also independents um there's a sort of a number of very uh high profile independents out there that are making in in rods as well so that, that's one of the interesting things about the election is that they're sort of encroaching into labor's traditional territory both in a policy sense and and uh geographically yeah, that's that's really interesting, Josh. Because I, I have not really come across that. Um, because what we're getting is is very much a narrative around like yes, COVID and lockdowns. A lot of it's mainly just focused on Dan Andrews, which is very very bizarre. Occasionally, you get you do get some pickup around that the, the problems with health, but it's obviously uh, some of the coverage around it you sort of see is more of in terms of what well, what the Liberals are, pro- are proposing that the crisis there is um, you know the Labor's problem and the like. Um, 
but but I mean, there's other things as well. We've had they've had all sorts of controversies. There's been police powers. We've had a series of uh, ministers that have been forced to resign over corruption allegations. Uh, we've had the Victorian Labor branch has basically been in administ under administration from the federal executive of the ALP since 2009. Uh, we've got a situation where rank and file members didn't get to actually pre-select their candidates not only last the most recent federal election in may this year but also this Vic victorian election i, I guess like the parliamentary party of uh labor party must, must feel pretty happy that they're, they're actually still doing um you know winning on a two-party preferred basis but there's lots of like very serious issues going on here that maybe it could could blow it up yeah, I mean, that's right. Like one of the other issues that's sort of boiling away is about integrity in government and, um, you know, the um, Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission in Victoria, it's known as I IBAC, um, similar to ICAC in New South Wales. Um, they've got about four or five investigations running at the moment um, looking at sort of various different allegations involving the Labor Party and, you know, Dan Andrews, not, none of which have actually uh, delivered any findings or anything. Um, you know, some of them are just looking into allegations. Some of them actually are the result of, um, you know, issues that have been referred to them by Dan Andrews himself. Yep. So he, he sort of raised them. But it's still, I, I think he's suffering from, a guy that's been in power for quite a long time. He plays his politics pretty hard, so he's got quite a few enemies, and he's always done that, you know. Um, and I think I think after you know eight years, he's sort of um, got a fair bit of political baggage, you'd say, that he's carrying. Um, and you know, people have been throwing a lot of mud at him mm. as well. He's a very very polarizing figure. Um, you know, people say he he adopted a very dictatorial approach, and he runs a very centralised sort of command and control style government. Um, and so he's, I think, over eight years, he's, it's probably fair to say that he's he's created a lot of enemies, um, particularly within the Labor Party, um, and also um, he's got a lot of enemies, you know, um, in the media as well. Like um, there's elements of the media that uh, are clearly just campaigning mm. against him in a very overt sort yeah. of way. Unhinged um, is the word I'll use, but yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that might be a fair way to describe yeah. it. I mean, if you read the Herald Sun, yeah. um, you know, which, which as a tabloid, um, I think, you know, in the past, as as a sort of tabloid, wasn't wasn't bad. You know, as far as tabloids go, but it's just been campaigning relentlessly mm. against Labor and and Daniel Andrews, and it's been campaigning relentlessly for Matthew Guy and the Liberal Party um, every day, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so I, I think um, you know, and then and then you sort of throw into the mix all the people that are anti-lockdown and angry about lockdowns and, you know, the whole dictator Dan thing, and it's a very febrile environment yep. at the moment. No, oh, it's pretty wild. And, look, I mean, I guess there's also pressure there too on the Victorian Liberals because, like, they might be getting that backing from some of the legacy media, particularly, like, from uh, the Murdoch uh, from News Limited. Um, but they're polling, like, 
there's a you know they're not it doesn't seem to be that they're making a breakthrough despite some of those very smaller liberal promises and infrastructure promises and what we were touching on before they've had their own problems with some of their candidates but we're also seeing uh some people are talking about this teal um wave if you like something that happened in the federal election in may where we saw a series of independents that had some uh financial backing from um homes court uh yeah know what you call him a philanthropist business businessman or whatever who um helped create a whole bunch of basically i mean really reform ticket independence i think would be one way i often think about them the people would normally be in the liberal party but the liberal party had gone so far to the right on a whole series of things so um do you think there's anything in there that, that, that's got legs that we're going to see a repeat of um some are saying we'll see a repeat of may where all of a sudden we're going to have a whole bunch of teal independence in the in the victorian um, parliament. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways it's it's always hard to yeah. say. I mean, you can never entirely, you know, predict elections, and everyone loves there to be a contest. Um, but I, I do think, um, to some extent, what's happening in Victoria mirrors what happened in the federal election, which is that people are pretty cheesed off with both the big parties yeah. here. Um, I reckon there's like a good solid quarter to a third of voters are just um, sick of both the big parties. And so it's very fractious mm. and quite difficult to predict what's going to yeah. happen. I, I do think independents and minor parties are going to go very well. Um, you know, like there's certainly a good solid, yeah, like I was saying, a quarter to a third of voters I think are um, looking at, at minor parties and independents. Yeah. Um, whether or not that will be a big problem for the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, it's sort of hard to say. I mean, there's individual seats like, um, for example, there's a seat called um, Hawthorne that's like everyone always describes it as one of those blue ribbon seats. Um, you know, it's it's sort of Q. It's, it's, it's similar to Josh Frydenberg's seat that overlaps a bit of that. Um, there's a Liberal candidate who's sort of on the moderate side of the Liberal Party called John Pesuto, who uh, spectacularly in 2018 lost Labor won that seat in 2018 and he was live on television on the ABC as part of their election coverage panel uh, watching as, you know, no one expected him to lose his seat. It's just that was a real shock of the election mm -hmm. that Labor could actually win that seat. Yep. Um, so whether or not Pesuto can win the seat of Hawthorne back will be really interesting. You know, he's touted as a sort of future leader from the moderate um, of the Liberal Party. Um, so there's there's kind of teals, you know, in, in that seat. I mean, I, I do think it is slightly different to the federal election in the sense that Labor can justifiably say we've done a lot on the environment and renewable energy and state-based greenhouse targets. You know, they've got very ambitious em greenhouse emissions reduction targets, um, you know. So I think I think that sort of line of attack is somewhat neutralised um, in the sense that, you know, it's, it's less of... there's You know, Labor can actually claim that they've got good, good credentials in those mm -hmm. areas. So whether or not that means the teals are slightly less attractive, I don't yep. know, but... Um, I think it, it will be if I if I had to lay money on it, I'd say the election will be about independence, minor parties, teals. People are talking about a hung parliament. Um, 
possibly. I mean, Labor would need to lose at least eight, uh, 11 seats to, to sort of get into that territory, which I, I think is a mm. lot. I, I think they'll lose some skin, um, but will they lose 11 seats? I, I think that's sort of hard to... I mean, quite quite possibly, but I, I think it's less likely that they'll lose the 11. You know, they might just sort of scrape by with a three or four-seat margin. It's hard, hard to say. Yeah. I mean, everyone likes to make predictions about elections and you get people who sound like they know what they're talking about, but really you get to the night and there's always surprises and, you know, seats go one mm. way that no one thought would fall and other ones don't that people did think would fall and that sort of thing. So I think it's one of the interesting things about elections. Yeah. They're hard to predict, particularly at the moment. But also, I mean, it is interesting with Victoria. I think from my understanding, it's one of the few states left where um, they still have above-the-line voting, where if, if you just, you know, tick number one in the ALP box, uh, your preferences are sorted out by the party, you know. Yeah. Like on our like, Hogan's always been like, oh, okay, you're done. But it is fascinating that that's normally always um, been very good for the, the two major parties uh, or the coalition and, and, the, and the Labor Party. But it is amazing. I, my take on it is the last 20 years has been amazing that, say, in Victoria, where people know that they can just go number one, they're actually going, I'm going to vote for a minor party. Like it's, you know, and they're, they're yeah. you know, we're getting more people exercising well, a tactical vote, if you like. Particularly in the upper house, um, there's so many parties running. I think there's a record number of yeah. like candidates in the upper house wow. on the on the ballot, um, and and so it is a bit of a, a situation where because you can just number one box above the line, um, and then that all, all those preferences get distributed the way the party wants them distributed. So it does actually mean that you get these situations where you can get minor parties exchanging all these preferences and it's it's a way of getting these weird minor party players elected with, like, tiny primary votes. Yep. Um, I, I actually do think it is a very perverse situation where you get people getting into parliament with a handful of, a handful of first preference yep. votes. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, and they're very obscure oh, no, yeah, they, really people, but they've just sort of... Uh, arguably gamed the system, yeah, you know, yeah. by doing these weird deals. People like, I mean, there was an um, interesting story that the Herald Sun had the other day where it was a recording of, um, I don't know if you know who Glenn Jury is, the, you know, they call him the preference. Yeah, whisperer. that bloke, yeah. But he, he sort of um, does all those deals between minor parties where they all pick a seat and exchange you know, preferences and the, the flow of those preferences. They can they can work out, sort of game the system so that one person gets up in one area and another person gets up in another area. Um, so arguably it is a pretty perverse situation. Yeah, it does point for to some need for some re reform there. I guess probably uh, the pointy heads and uh, the Labor Party's HQ are probably thinking, uh, no, we can sort of continue on with with how it's been with electoral reform, but um, it just doesn't sound sustainable though. In the long, you know, in terms of like, there's this argument: why don't we have multi get change that uh, above the line voting at a bare minimum? Another argument could be to bring in proportional um, representation, like um, you know, we have preferential voting in Victoria and uh, in Australia, but uh, moving to something a bit more proportional might might um, you know take that sort of silliness out of um, the upper house situation. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, silliness is a good way to describe yeah. it. They've they've been talking about reforming it for quite a long time, 
but no one's actually done anything yeah. about it. So it's something that's sort of on the to-do list, I think, in Victoria. But uh, it is it is a very perverse situation. So I mean, look, I, my, I'm looking at it thinking this is going to be really strange. It's going to be a very interesting election because there's so many things going on. Whether it's the economy, uh, whether it's the you know the uh, the cost of living crisis, things that are that, the crisis in health, uh, the fact that we got um, state governments that are um, having big problems with how public infrastructure and, and public services are being funded and the like, um, and also coinciding with the the problems that we've got with neoliberalism is basically sort of this accepted way of how he runs stuff. But I mean, some of it seems to be falling apart in terms of how traditionally you'd, you'd have the liberals arguing about cutting one of the cutting red tape and reducing taxes but then victoria they're talking about um oh, we're actually going to do incentive programs you know we're going to throw money at you you to get your kids in your in your club and we're going to throw money at uh, at the hospitals which is very different universe to what we've previously seen and then like we've talked about there's very strange vitriol going on um partly sort of incited by people who should know better uh around mr you know comrade dan <laughs> But um, yeah, yeah it's, and then, it's going I mean, the, other, the other thing, you've got all these um, liberal branches that have arguably been stacked by um, re the religious right yeah. as well, which is another issue that's sort of boiling away in Victoria. Um, you know, and that's that's just this week been causing a few problems for Matthew Guy. You know, you've had people who have made all sorts of comments about you know gay people and anti-abortion people and um it's 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 a very um yeah it's it's just all over the shop the whole yeah. the whole debate yeah. and it, it's a bit thrown on its head as well because i mean state debt has been really you know it's risen very sharply as a proportion of the economy victoria has the highest state debt in the nation uh and it's going higher but oddly enough, um, you know, normally it's the Liberal Party talking about the need for austerity and and that sort of thing. This election, they're actually outspending Labor quite dramatically in terms of policy promises, and they're just saying, trust us, we're the Liberal Party, we'll manage the budget yeah. better, but no one's really actually wanting to have a serious conversation about how the budget's managed um, or, or what their, you know, what priorities are most important Um you know, and they're, they're, so the Liberal Party are just saying, oh, we'll cut taxes and spend more and cap borrowing. But by the way, we're going to be better economic managers and deliver bigger surpluses and lower debt. And you kind of scratch your head and think, well, how are you going to actually do that in reality? You know, it's just, it's a bit bizarre, the whole thing. I guess there's that, that general point that we have in the left is like, uh, the left always put up. The, the progressive platform, if you like, that we want to, have, you want to have a plan, and you also want to talk about how you're going to pay for it. And we know that there are ways to argue for paying for it around taxation or, or um, targeting those that could, you know, have the broader shoulders or can more, more, more afford it. But it, it's, yeah, I, it's very strange, very strange what you're describing and what we're seeing in Victoria is. Um, there's a bit of populism, but also it seems to be like recognizing a big problem and throwing some money at that, but not connecting it to a broader arching philosophy or a. I, I think that's true. Like, I mean, if there's one kind of criticism that you could level at both sides, it's just been, it's been a bit of a haphazard election from a policy mm. point of view. 
Like there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a sort of, I mean, I guess it's, a, it's slightly reminiscent of the federal election yeah. when they were just bringing promises around willy-nilly, but there doesn't seem to be much of a theme to this election other than maybe health. But then you've just got both sides almost in furious agreement saying, oh, we've got to spend more on health and, you know, they're making promises for hospitals. But there doesn't seem to be much of an ideological underpinning. I mean, there is one area where Labor's really convinced they're onto a winner, which I haven't mentioned this, and I think it's really interesting. Um, they've come up with a policy to revive the old State Electricity Commission, which was privatised during the Kennedy yeah. era. So they owned all the poles and wires and the distribution and the, and the generators, the electricity generators. So Dan Andrews came out a number of weeks ago and said he's going to revive the SEC but as a big renewable energy company. So saying, you know, initially it'll be a billion dollars, um, I presume mostly wind. I think they're, they're sort of talking about offshore wind in Bass Strait. But uh, and then they want the big industry super funds to chip in money as well. So this, so so it's it's actually interesting that they're saying that state taxpayers would own or the public would own a fifty one percent stake in those renewable energy generators, and and apparently that is just off the charts wildly popular. Yeah. Like people absolutely love the idea. Yeah about renationalizing electricity generation um, to the point where, um, I don't know, you may not know, during the pandemic, Daniel Andrews turned up to a press conference every day wearing a North Face jacket, like um, the outdoor company. He got kind of known for wearing this black North Face jacket. So he's now got a new jacket with an SEC logo on it and he's turning up wearing, you know, this this jacket with an SEC logo uh, you know, saying we're going to renationalize electricity generation because there's this feeling that um, that that privatization that occurred it actually started under Labor during the Kane Kearney years, but it really accelerated during the Kennedy era where they just sold off all the all the generation yep. assets. Um, there's a feeling that that's failed um, consumers, uh, and so they're kind of doing doing the reverse privatization basically. And I think that is um, one area where there's a real sort of point of ideological difference, uh, which I find really interesting. And it feels like I think um, perhaps the pandemic changed people's attitude and perception. You know, now they want governments to work, do more for you know work work for for people and that that idea that i think you think in a way we've come around a bit of a full circle in that era of okay sell everything off privatize everything leave it to the market leave it to the private sector i think that's changed um people want governments to actually step up and do things again uh so yeah for me that's a that's a really interesting um thing that's been going no, on this election. definitely a very interesting development in uh, the last recent years and and yeah you're right as a result of a reaction to COVID has been uh, i guess normalizing that idea of the state being involved and that actually the state can actually provide when it's done well the state can actually provide excellent services and a way to sort of keep things moving um yeah that's 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 um really interesting to see how this pans out i wasn't all that aware about that renationalizing um uh policy agenda but that sounds very positive um i guess we'll sort of see how it yeah. goes for the um 
Labor Party in Victoria. Um, look, is there anything else you want to add? Like we've, we've touched on minor parties and independents. They're going to have a good old crack and there's certainly a lot of issues going on. Um, is there anything else you want to add that, that you, you think is interesting? Um, let's talk to a lot of lefties basically like what, what do you think that they might be interesting they might not have heard about oh look i mean i think the sec thing's interesting yeah. i think the um the whole um you know the the, the kind of ideological schism in the liberal party is really fascinating mm-hmm. like i i wonder if we're not look witnessing you know, is it is it is the Liberal Party in such a, a sort of a, a ideological? Is it is it so ideologically divided that it will not survive? Mm. Um, I think if it sort of has a poor result um, on November twenty six, you know that process could accelerate because there's a lot of questions about uh, right wing religious groups that have sort of taken over branches and they're installing their candidates in there. Um, and there's a lot of disquiet in more progressive, traditional sort of small L liberal seats, like the one I mentioned, Hawthorne. You know, there's a few others like Q is another one. Um, it's just um, I, I think there could be a lot of if, – if they don't get a good result and the polls suggest that, you know, both sides are sort of on the nose, but um, I think there could be a lot of finger-pointing and, and blame – after the mm. election, um, which will be really interesting. I mean, wh- one thing that happened the other day, which I found really fascinating, is that um, I mentioned those integrity investigations. Yep. Well, the Liberal Party has its own problems as well. Um, so the Victorian Electoral Commission, you know, they're, they're supposed to be sort of, well, they are kind of pure as the driven snow in terms of impartiality, like they're an independent umpire that run elections in the state. So they've been conducting an investigation into, well, they've been doing two investigations um, into into sort of essentially party fundraising that, you know, for breaching the state's political donations laws. So they came out the other day in relation to one of those investigations and said, look, the Liberal Party just aren't cooperating. This is 11 days out from an Mm. election. They're not cooperating. We're referring this matter to the to IBAC, the Independent Anti-Corruption Agency. And so the Liberal Party went absolutely nuts about that and said um, they accused the VEC of meddling in the election, deliberately interfering in the election. Um, and um, I thought that was extraordinary to accuse the independent umpire of, of, of you know, they said we were... We're, they, they got their lawyers involved and said we're demanding that the VEC cease and desist from uh, making comments on the election. Um, I thought that was a very Trump-esque sort of move to c- accuse the independent election umpire in Victoria of meddling in the election. I mean, that that to me just blew me away. I kind of thought that's that's unprecedented, not only in Victoria but in Australia, to accuse the election commission mm. of interfering. Yeah, know, I mean, just, look, it uh, is one of those things. That Australia's got such, um, I mean, yeah, there's our electoral system's not perfect by any means at all, but the fact that we have an independent electoral commissions um, to cover and monitor our elections, both federally and in the state level uh, and the like, provides some surety amongst 
you know, the population at the, when the, when there's a vote, it's as fair as possible. Um, that's that's yeah, Absolutely. it is quite amazing to sort of see that. As opposed to say, a lot of people don't really understand it in the US that they don't have <laughs> electoral commissions like we have. Uh, you know, yeah. and it's, it, they're run yeah. by the it's, the electoral laws are run by individual states. Hence, why they've you know that's why they had to have a civil rights movement. I mean. It's that sort of nutty stuff that they've got over there. But to see that sort of, you know, I guess some of that uh, language around, um, you know, the interference from the uh, <laughs> the neutral state body that's meant to be doing their job is uh, pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the wash-up if they say, if they continue to blame the VEC, um, mm. that would be interesting. No, that's right. Well, look, what's what's your tip, Josh? Well, we've had you for oh, a bit of time, and I know it's. I've, I've got a pretty, a pretty bad track record, I have to say, Ben. Um, I did think um, Labor was going to win the federal election, yep. and I think I, I got it right by a few seats. Um, but I, I'm going to say Labor um, with a reduced majority of three or four seats. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's wait and see. So you've got your tips in there, people. But it will be fascinating sort of outcome in Victoria, and there'll be things to to look at and uh, you know look into the coffee grinds afterwards and take from that and learn from in the future. And we, hopefully, we're going to find out more about um, how some of the minor parties have done. There's definitely a bit of circling going on amongst. I suppose I know the the democratic socialists down in um, the Victorian socialists, for example, have had a very interesting little campaign that they've been running, um, targeting both Labor and the Greens. So it's not just a not just the right that are seeing the, an opportunity there to get above whatever the threshold is to get some funding and get their profile up. So it will be fascinating to sort of see what the outcome is given the. Um, a huge range of, of issues and, um, well, unhappiness around things. But some positive messages there too, though, that nationalisation of electricity is, uh, well, well well and truly be beyond time. Like, the question would be, like, the Labor government's been in for a while. Why haven't they done this earlier? But I think we know the answer to that. It's probably COVID's finally um, won that argument about, like, hey, it's actually not a bad thing to have the state running things, particularly if you need those utilities. Well, well, Labor has itself, you know, sold off assets yeah. and privatised things. I mean, they they entered into a long-term lease of the Port of Melbourne, which was sort of tantamount to privatising a 50-year lease on the Port of Melbourne to a private consortium. Um, you know, they made quite a lot of money out of that for infrastructure funding. They've sold off smaller different things, you know, Vic Road um, assets and stuff like that, you know, part of their licence registration businesses and things like that. So, I mean, Labor certainly hasn't been averse to these things, but I think they've kind of read the public mood a bit on on some things here. Oh, cool. Well, look, Josh, we're looking forward to it, mate, and we'll definitely talk some more into the future about this one and get an idea of what, what goes down. Uh, any last words before we get going? No, that was no. great. Um, thanks a lot for having me on the show, Ben. I really enjoyed no. it.